Amen. Um, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 62. If you have a red pew Bible in front of you, that is uh, page 568. We're in the middle of a sermon series as we're working through what is a healthy church. And um, I'm, I've said it before, I'm, I'm horrible at sermon titles and sermon series names. So this one's about prayer because it's a week of prayer. And um, we'll be looking at the prayer that David is making in Psalm 62. And uh, yeah, a healthy church prays. It's going to be about some other things too as we work through this. Um, when you become a Christian... Your salvation in Christ begins with prayer. It is carried out and is sustained by prayer. And only through and by prayer will you make it until your final day, still saying the words the Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be your name. A healthy church also is a resilient church. If you were at our men's breakfast yesterday, which was a fantastic time, um, it was awesome. Uh, Dino did a, a wonderful job yesterday leading us. Um, a healthy church is a resilient church, and prayer is the only way as a congregation that we can get there by God's grace through prayer as a congregation and also as individuals. As I said yesterday, Dino shared a similar teaching from Scripture as he spoke about Jesus' ending words on the Summer of the Mount, about building the house on a rock or on sand, right? And I live in this old house. It's a pre-World War II house built in the 30s. And um, when we had our uh, home inspection before we, uh, you know, purchased the home, the guy who inspected looked at our foundations and he was explaining, you know, it's above my pay grade. I didn't, I don't know, I didn't go to school for building or don't build in my life. But he was explaining to me just our foundations and how they were hand laid, almost three foot thick, not a crack to be seen. And he was saying, you know, there's certain kinds of homes that were built in the 30s. He said, there's nothing like them. They're like fortresses, right? And we happened to find one. And that kind of foundation is needed here as a church. And that foundation is only going to be found through prayer. The booklet, as you see this week, I really encourage you, there's a, um, just a brief reading every single day and that prayer booklet that's going to guide you um, as an individual or uh, as, uh, you know, together with your family. I would encourage you to do it with others if you possibly can. It's going to be focusing on, in that prayer booklet this week, uh, renewal, spiritual renewal. Spiritual renewal is something that we are always in need of, um, and spiritual renewal, it, it, renewal leads to uh, a mature, deep, and resilient faith. That's the kind of renewal that I am praying and seeking for here as a church. Scripture teaches us that God's Spirit was sent to provide salvation for you and I, to give life to our spiritually dead hearts, that we may in turn, uh, in turn to God and then long after him, that we may continually just see how sinful we are, how jacked up we are as people, but how strong and loving and gracious and forgiving our Lord is. 
and that is the good news. The cross is enough. His spirit has been given to us. As John 14, 26 says, the spirit is our advocate, our helper, constantly reminding us of what Jesus taught while he was here. And this is precisely why he ascended back into heaven after his resurrection, one of the reasons why at least, to then give his spirit to descend to us, to help us and to fill us. Therefore, you and I must always be giving attention to our prayer, to prayer in our lives. Prayer is the outward expression of an inward disposition to God, is an admission, at minimum, okay, is an admission that we are not sufficient in ourselves. That's why we pray, right? If, if, if we, you thought we were sufficient in ourselves, then you would be praying to yourself or something, right? Like you're, the whole idea of prayer is saying, I can't do this alone. That's where your heart needs to be in order to actually have prayer take place in a meaningful and powerful way in your life. It's an admission that we are not sufficient in ourselves. If our salvation begins in Jesus and not us, prayer is the very means by which we practice the living out of our salvation that did not come from ourselves. It is the constant uh, 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 lenience to say we've got to have Jesus, not just at the beginning, but in every hour of every day, as the hymn says, right? I need thee every hour. Prayer flows from our weakness as human beings. We pray out of weakness, therefore allowing the strength of God to then flow into that weakness. There's so many ways to approach prayer, but today we're going to look at what I think is a very neglected area of prayer, that as you're praying this week, as we come here Wednesday night and have congregational prayer in this room together and also a night of worship on Friday night. This is one of the things that I I, I challenge you guys to practice because I would venture to guess if you're anything like me, which hopefully you're not, but if you are, in 2022, you are constantly distracted your ears have constant noise or your eyes have constant flashes of screens and there's just a constant just kind of murmur of sound, okay? I know in my house I have six kids, there's lots of sounds, okay? And it's rarely quiet in my house, so I have distinct challenges within my own household of silence and we all have challenges when it comes to this. It's so easy to just fill our lives up with noise and with noise and with just constant just kind of distractions and busyness and there's something that prayer can provide. Sometimes we think of prayer as just kind of talking to God but I, we're going to see in Psalm 62 we need to learn as we pray to find that deep resilience, that firm foundation here as a church. The neglected area is this learning to rest in him and in prayer to be silent before him. To rest in him and to be silent before him. That's what Psalm 62 is ultimately about. If you have your Bibles, let's read this together. Beginning of verse one. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. If you have a different translation, instead of the word rest, do you guys see anything different there? Anybody in this room? If you do, say it out loud. Starts with the S. Anybody see that word? Silence. Yeah, some translations, they they differ a little bit here, right? There's rest. There's some, some may say peace, and some say silence, right? Because it's kind of a multifaceted word, 
The idea here is that if you are at rest in God, there is a a peaceful silence that comes from that. And behind that peaceful silence, which we're going to see later, is an undergirding of trust, that you have trusted so much in God that you are now at rest and in silence before him. He's become your safe haven. He alone has become your rock. He, has, he is the very source of your salvation. He is your fortress. And the best way I can sum this up is that he's become your home. You know, your home is a place where you can take off your shoes and put on your jammies and kind of, you know, don't worry about, you know, you just kind of shump your, you know, drop your shoulders down and lean back and, and you chill out and you rest. And in those places, you aren't often just chattering up a storm, right? My favorite place to rest is starting a fire in the fireplace. I've like burned through almost all my firewood. It's not even February. I got to like chill out a little bit. But I love starting fires and I love just sitting there, maybe a book in my hand, but scarcely do I read and just my eyes get half closed and just laying there. And then a kid comes up and jumps on top of me and then I try to follow, you know. But that, if I have an afternoon to chill out, that's, that's what happens, right? I put on some John Coltrane, my Bluetooth speaker in the background and I'm just hanging out. And it's wonderful. It's my place of peace. My wife is over there. The kids are playing. It's great. That's where I like to rest. And you all have that as well, right? Your place of peace, your place of home, where you find safety and security and rest in God. And David is expressing in similar terms, I found that in God. That's what I found in him. The psalmist is declaring God to be his home. And that restful silence is an appropriate response. So as we enter that week of prayer, this week of prayer, it may feel odd to speak about approaching God with a restful silence, because we may associate prayer with not being silent. But I felt led to choose this psalm. I had a different one in the book, as you, if you see it, but I felt led to transfer to this psalm to begin this week of prayer because, as I said before, I think this is a challenge in 2022, that this isn't our default to be silent before him. Um, the psalmist does say a number of things in here. He says, God is our salvation, and so, if all of this is true, uh, to be someone who is a source for your salvation, um, uh, uh, well, let's, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading, misreading my notes. Let's transfer this to our human relationships here. If you're silent with someone, right, you're like with them, but you're in silence with them, but you enjoy being with them, there's a couple of things is, is this. The silent presence of that person in your life is valuable to you. Just having them with you communicates something to you. It communicates another kind of maybe layer of safety, right? That's like, oh, that, that person's here. This is good. My friend, my spouse, whoever it might be, they're here with me. Yeah, life is good because they're, they're here. Their arms reach. They're near me. They don't even have to be talking to me, but I know that things are okay right now because that person is with me. We maybe have those people in our life. That's what the silent presence kind of communicate to you. Or you are silent because you want to, to hear what that person has to say, right? Maybe you're with somebody and you're not talking, but you want to have an open ear to say there's something valuable that this person has to communicate to me. And so I'm going to find the humility to actually be silent before them and actually have an open ear instead of an open mouth, right? I'm terrible at that. You can ask my wife. I want you to consider that David here 
um, if you pay attention to Psalm 62, he doesn't record anything that God says until the last verse. It's almost as if his, his silence before God finally leads him to hear a word from the Lord in the very last verse. So prayer, as we see, as we're going to see in the psalm, it's a conversation with God, and sometimes that conversation really needs to be one-sided. Sometimes being silent before God can be much more difficult than speaking, but learning to make God your home, learning to find that rest in him and cultivate such trust can lead to a very meaningful time of silence before him. So what's even more remarkable about Psalm 62 is he's writing these things not in a peaceful time of life. His circumstances are rather crazy. Okay, he's a king of Israel. This is David. And um, let's listen to what was going on in his life. It makes these words more meaningful. Verse 3 and 4, listen to this. He transfers thought. He says, how long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Selah. All uh, commentators agree. David is kind of talking about himself here. People were after him. They were looking to assault him, to hurt him, to bring harm to him. Now, I was never a fighter. I was wired. I'm wired as a peacemaker. When I was younger, if there was a fight, I wasn't the guy running to throw punches. I was, I was the guy running to be in the middle, like, stop. Like, I was just wired to, like, do that. I don't know. But I've never been in a situation where people want to come out and actually, you know, physically harm me. Some of you have been in those situations. That's where David was. People were coming up after him to hurt him. And he was living at a time when it was brutal. I mean, this was thousands of years ago. Uh, these were brutal days to live in. So the harm they wanted to, call, to cause him wasn't probably just like a, a little punch or a kick or something. They probably wanted to take him out, right? Like actually bring real harm to him. Um, his life was probably at stake here. And David draws the imagery of a leaning wall he feels about to just fall right on top of him. And as they're working their way towards him, these people are deceitfully lying. People ask him questions. They're like, oh no, David's great. But their heart, they're cursing him. And he knows the deceitfulness in these people. Now that's the situation, all right? Um, that's a little cause for anxiety. People are out to get you. And they're deceitful people and probably a lot of people don't believe you throughout to get you. Yeah, that's a rough spot to be in life. So he's not, he's not saying these words in the, in the place where he can say, everything's great. Everything's going great, right? But he's at rest. And some translations say, right, as we said, he's in silence before God. We're going to unpack that reality as we keep moving forward here. In verse 5, he says this. He says, find rest Oh, my soul and God alone. My hope comes from him. Some, some of your translations say, be silent, oh, my soul and God alone before God, right? He, is, he alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. So through pastoral ministry, uh, I've, I've seen, that generally speaking, um, the most common form of prayer is to pray when needs arise. You're like, well, duh, right? That's what we all do, 
right? Need-based prayers, they're good. I mean, there's plenty of scripture that, that uh, are, are Psalm 86, one, help me, O God, for I am poor and needy. I mean, those are all over scriptures. And that's a good thing. If you're in need, go and pray. It's like, God, I'm in a bad spot. I need help, right? And that's a good thing. But Psalm 62, though, is, is showing us other uh, parts, other, other you know, surfaces, if you will, of prayer. Sure, by David saying that God is his salvation, there's a little hint that he's saying, like, God's going to help me. He's going to save me. And he's probably even kind of implicitly kind of praying that as he says, God is the only source of my salvation. He's going to save me from these guys. He's going to rescue me here. We, we, that's there. What we see here is, is, is him resting in the fact that God already is his salvation. He has been his salvation. And even presently, even as David is in the middle of that, he knows that in his rest, in his silence before God, that he even now has salvation in him, even when his situation is messed up. And since that rest can be understood as silent rest, consider this, that in the chaos of his life, David is seeking silent rest before God. Now, there's a little hint here that this isn't coming easily for David. Because look at verse 5. It says, find rest, O my soul. It's all, you can kind of hear him having a conversation with himself. I need to find rest right now, <laughs> right? I know I need to find rest in God. I have it, I know, but I, I, I need to find it. Like he's kind of telling himself here because there's probably some temptation to have some very anxious prayers right now. Now, I like to call anxious prayers chatterbox prayers. Just recently in my office, I found a box that I carried from my other office in Jersey, and um, it's full of junk, and uh, I need to clean it out, but terrible stuff like that. But I found a journal from over 10 years ago of mine um, when I was in full-time school, working two jobs, uh, broke as a joke, just a crazy season in life. And I was reading the prayers, my prayer journal here. I haven't read these in a very long time. And literally every page was just, God help me, God help me, I'm tired. Help me, help me, help me. I don't feel like going to work. Help me, help me, help me. It was just these constant, just very anxious prayers of how we're going to pay our bills. God, help me, help me, help me, help me. It's all that I saw. And those are, that's, that's okay, right? I was crying out for, for help, right? But looking back in that stage in life, I just these page after page after page, it's kind of the same repetitive, anxious prayers, just flipping through just dozens and dozens of pages. I'm looking back, and I'm thinking, I was never actually in need. Through all of my anxious prayers, if I reflect on that season in life, I had everything I needed, in fact, just a little bit more. Yeah, it was maybe a harder season than most, working two jobs in full-time school. It was tough. Like, I'm not, I don't want to go back to that, you know. It was, it was a crazy time. But I allowed the anxiety of that life stage to be my permanent residence. I never read a word of Thanksgiving on those pages. Just nothing but constant anxiety. Nothing but constant prayers of need. Just chattering constantly, constantly, constantly. That's our default place. But here we are pushed like David to consider fighting the impulse of that. Maybe a couple of sentences, that's fine. We're going to talk about that in a minute here. But fighting the impulse of just nothing but anxious prayers. God, help me, help me, help me, help me. But rather saying, no, I want to find silence right now. 
I'm going to shut that down. I'm going to shut my brain down and just say, God, I need to hear from you. You've heard so much from me, Lord. <laughs> I need to hear from you right now because I'm not resting in you. If I'm honest, I need to stop and have open ears in a closed mouth. If he is your rock, if he is the source of your salvation, if he is your fortress, then everything, my salvation, my honor, everything is wrapped up in God, and he knows my need, and I can, yeah, surely express that, but I need to actually rest in him. Do you know what happens when we find this sort of relationship with God? When we get to the place where, yeah, you may express your needs, but you find yourself perhaps in silence more and more, and you have an open ear, more and more you find spiritual resilience. You find spiritual resilience to really weather difficult and harsh circumstances in life. When I, you know, I, I learned to call those days in my early 20s, they used to call them the, the dark days, and I kind of like feel dirty even doing that because they weren't dark. I had everything I needed. I had beautiful children being born, and I, I had a place to live and a, a cozy house and a warm bed. And I mean, look, I had everything I need. They weren't dark, right? But my, I just look back and feel like I just remember just constant streams of anxiety. And I'm like, I never stopped to just listen. And, and if I did, God would have said, what are you lacking right now? Please tell me. Have I not provided for you? If you just were to close your mouth for a second, Right? I think some arrogance and some pride can fuel those chatterbox prayers. Jesus makes the claim in Matthew 6, 7 through 8 that God already knows what you're going to say, so consider speaking fewer words, right? He knows the need, and it's good to learn how to express that need, but the 12th time you're expressing that need, and the 13th time, right? You know, Paul does say, though, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. And there's some tension there. It's like, well, how do those two things go together? A few words in prayer, pray without ceasing. I think the way to understand the dynamic of prayer in light of what Psalm 62 is showing us is to understand that prayer is the practice. It's an art, really, of both speaking and listening. Just like any friendship or marriage or relationship we have in our life, we have a relationship with Jesus. And so prayer is both listening and speaking. No one likes that person when you say, how are you? And 30 minutes later, they're still monologuing about something about themselves. And you're like, okay, that was, you know, you're, you're still talking, right? I wonder if sometimes we do that in our prayers. God is gracious with us, and he's a father, and he loves us. We're going to see that at the end of our sermon today. But the question still is, in the art of quietness and stillness, of being still and resting in God in silence before him, and as we do that, okay, in verse 8, David then transfers from the silent kind of prayers, from the listening, you know, challenging himself to do it, in verse 8, he then goes back to the verbal spoken prayers in verse 8. Listen to this. Trust him at all times. As we said, trust is what causes you to be silent before God. Right? Trust is what causes you to listen to God. So he says, trust him at all times, O people. But then he says this. Pour out your hearts to him. Pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. You say, wait, we're, we're talking about silent prayer. Now we're pouring out our hearts, right? And that's why prayer is the twofold 
here. But I don't think pouring out your heart is so much the chatterbox ancient, uh, uh, anxious prayers that we're talking about before. Pouring out your heart is deeper than that, right? Because those anxious prayers usually are followed by, you know, the, the, the imagining the what-if scenarios. Well, if, you know, I'm praying for this, but if this happened, or this happened, or this happened, then that could happen, then this could happen, this could happen. Anybody do that in their minds? Is that just me? Am I going crazy? Right? That's sometimes just followed with the anxious prayers. But to pour out your, your heart to him, you know, like, at least in my life, when, when those anxious prayers are happening, I think it's like a defensive mechanism. It can be to almost not really fully let God in, like not to actually let him into those deep other caverns because if I'm anxious, ultimately, I'm still convinced that it's up to me somehow. Like I, I still have some element of control and that's why my anxiety is through the roof because I've lost control of something, right? And I feel like I have at least. And even if I'm praying for God to help me and my anxiety is crazy, there's still something there that says in my own, I'm still convinced myself that I, I, I still have an opportunity to change something or to, or to, and to let go of that, to actually drop the anxious prayers and to pour your heart out to him, right, is where we need to be because often I think we're praying for the cut on our arm, but in reality, our hearts, we're in need of open heart surgery and we're not letting God get to the place where he needs to get to in our lives. And so the question I have this morning is this, when is the last time like you, you just poured your heart out to Jesus? I mean, you just, you just let it flow. Like when you just fell on your knees and you were yelling at him, you were complaining to him, you were frustrated, you were just in thanksgiving and, and just joy. There's a story, it's a, it's a brief, kind of brief story in Mark chapter 9 about somebody pouring out their heart in prayer. It just gets me every time. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus was on top of the mountain of transfiguration. His disciples were down at the base of the mountain. Somebody came up to him, and a father did, with his boy. And he said, my, my boy has been demon-possessed, and he's harming himself. The demon wants to hurt my son, and it's actually happening, and I need, my son needs help. I want to help my son. And they were praying. They couldn't get this demon out of the boy. So Jesus came down. He started speaking to the father, and, um, and, and Jesus went to the father of the boy, and he said, um, you know, do you believe, right? And he says, yeah, I, I, you can do, you can, yeah, you can, you can help me. Um, and, and the father actually cried out, he says this, his exact words were this, he says, if you can do anything, please have compassion on us, if you can. And Jesus responded, if I can? He says, all things are possible, for the one who believes. And we hear that, and we're like, I, yeah, of course, we, we know that. But this is the humanness of this father. I love his response here. It sounds, you know, it's such a pious thing for Jesus to say. It sounds, well, yeah, that, we want to get there, but this is what this broken dad with his hurting son right there who's before Jesus, who was just so sick and tired of seeing his son in such bad shape, and he's listening to Jesus, and it says he immediately just yelled. Like, he responded just like within a second. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think that's so relatable, right? So Jesus, I want to believe, but I don't too. 
Like I'm struggling here. But I do believe I'm just struggling. That's pouring out. That's, that's a, to pour out your heart is, is able to actually be honest with what's really going on. I, I think if we're, you know, if you want to be clear this morning, that's really much more difficult than we would like it to, to admit. The ability to be honest where, where you truly are within, is, is, it, it takes some, some serious like boldness to just blurt that out, Right? If you're in a group of people, we, we, as Christians, sometimes we have to put on, you know, faces before one another that we don't feel that way. We don't, I don't want somebody to really feel like that I'm doubting. And so I've learned in settings, in church settings especially, to just say the right things. That guy could have said the right thing. He could have been like, you're right, Jesus, and I believe in anything is possible. While inside of his heart, he's like, oh, I'm so tired of my son's suffering. Is this, can he really do this? We need to learn to be honest before God and just let it out. Pour your heart out because you know why? He's gracious. We're going to see how David ends, and it's beautiful how he ends this song. God wants all of you. He knows the truth, friends. He knows the truth, and he wants you to just embrace where you are because the sooner you embrace where you are before him, the sooner his spirit can get down there and it says now some real transformation can happen. Now some humility was finally found and now you're willing and ready to submit yourself to me because you've been shielding that for far too long. But now you're ready. Let me get to work. Let me get my surgical tools out. It may not feel good at first. But I'm gonna go to work, right? That's what the spirit wants to do. And he's asking you to be real with him, to pour out your heart before him. I believe once we get used to this, once we open ourselves up to God in that way, then that spiritual resilience starts taking place in our life. That when we let God in, we're going to see more of him in more colorful and meaningful and more glorious and powerful ways when we fully submit ourselves to God in that way. And then when the storms keep coming, because they will, and the weather gets rough in our life, we're going to find ourselves still standing upright. Whereas before we felt like we're just getting tossed to the ground. But if you let him into your weaknesses and his strength starts overcoming you, you're going to be able to stand like David as people are trying to, you know, take him out. He was saying, I'm here still, and I'm trusting, and I'm in silence and rest before him, even when things are very uncertain out there. It's possible, friends. It is. David continues on as he starts considering those who are after him, and it's a reflection of our human condition, too. He says this. These are also things that we shouldn't trust in, that we sometimes want to. And this is reflective of his day and age, right? He says, Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If a weight and a balance, they are nothing. Those things don't matter, right? Together, both, the high-born, the low, the rich, the poor, whatever it is, they're the same. Their life is a breath, says David. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on him. David had set his refuge in God. These people are after him. Obviously, we're maybe after David's prestige, his, his, his position in Israel, maybe some of his money, right? And maybe I had already found a way to warn themselves in to take something from David because their refuge was in stuff. Their refuge was in 
money. The the refuse was in those kind of, you know, social standings or whatever it may have been that they thought if they found that, then they would finally be safe and have what they need. And David says, no, 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 no. All that stuff is uh, uh, false. They're, They're idols. They're false gods. They're going to fail you, right? One of my favorite passages on, um, I think it's in Jeremiah. Is it in Jeremiah? When um, it, it speaks of um, uh, uh, needing help as a nation in Israel, instead of praying, they went to Egypt and said, guys, can you send us some of your soldiers? And God said, are you, are you leaning down for help on top of a pointed you know, staff that's gonna, how, how's that gonna feel if you put your weight down on something that's not me? It's like, it's like trusting in a, a staff and putting your body weight on it that has a pointed spear. It's gonna go right through, it's gonna hurt if you lean on anything else for salvation and for help that is not me. You're gonna wind up on your face in worse shape than you were beforehand. That's what David is saying here in verses nine and 10. As the psalm ends, uh, ends on two summary statements that are just beautiful things, because this is where God speaks. This is where finally we hear from God. I don't know if you've ever have actually, it's such a, uh, it can be a, a, a subjective thing, right? There's no way to um, have some kind of formula that says, you know, but when you're praying, for something or just trying to maybe have the battle of silence to just empty the anxiety. I'm just going to listen to God. And you get a word from him. Or maybe you have your scriptures open and you're just kind of praying through scripture. And it's like that one verse starts like kind of like floating off of a page. And you, you want to keep reading, but you keep going back. And you keep kind of, has ever happened to some of you, right, as you're, as you're praying? Um, that's God. That's the Spirit saying, slow down here. That's what I need you to, to focus on. That's what I need you to, when that happens, I hope that you can just stop and say, thank you, God, and find the, 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 the rest and that he is actively speaking to you, that he is actually taking time to respond to you that he knows you so well and that he is speaking. It should humble us to where we feel like we're like an inch tall at the, the God of the universe is listening to my prayers and responding and caring for me. My children love, like this morning, you know, my son was playing guitar and telling me, you know, about a song he learned and I was busy sermon prepping and I wasn't listening and I told him, sorry, but I just wasn't listening. And like, I know how much it means to my kids when I stop and listen, right? And I don't do it often. I try to do it often, right? Sometimes I don't do it, right? Our Father, God our Father, He is always listening to us. There's never a time where He's like, you know, oh, what did you say? What? I missed that. Say it again, please. Like, no, it's not, it's not, it doesn't happen, right? He is with you, ever present through His Spirit, and He hears you. And we should be thankful for that. It should humble us. We should worship in that. We should rejoice in that. David heard from God here at the end of this psalm. Verse 11 says this. One thing God has spoken, ah, two things I have heard from God. Now he's talking to God. First time in the psalm, he's talking actually to God, not just about God, but now talking to him. He's been silent, right? He did say, pour your heart out, but this is the first time where he's actually, you know, saying a word to God in this psalm. He says this, this is what he heard. 
After all the stuff that David has been pouring out, after all the silence that he's had in the anxious situation in life that he was in, God spoke, and there was two things, and this is what God had to say to him. Verse 12, or verse 11, it says, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong. Number two, and that you, O Lord, are loving. That was God's response to David. And his listening, and the other side of the coin, is pouring out his heart. What did God say to him? I'm strong, and I love you. That's what he said. Power belongs to God. All strength belongs to him, and God is loving. This is that word that's in the Hebrew Scriptures, that hesed, that, that loving kindness that is just repeated constantly just hundreds of times throughout the Old Testament. And it refers to not just love, like I love ice cream. No, it's a different kind of love. It is a committed love. It is a loyal love. It is a covenanted love. God is actually telling David, I'm committed to you, David. That should just absolutely blow our minds. God is saying, David, I'm committed to you because I love you. And that last line can throw us for a loop, right? We see that um, it says, um, uh, it says, uh, the end, surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. And at first we're like, oh, no, I don't deserve anything. Like, what reward? Oh, he's going to pipe me, you know, wipe me out here. Like, in context, okay, I think in the West we have this guilty conscience thing too often. In context here, this is right after mentioning his love for us, his reward for us. After David is praying and listening and pouring out his heart, this is what David is saying. Surely you're going to like, you, you, you love me, you're committed to me, so I know you're going to give me something good because you're a good God. You're going to care for me. You're going to, to, to help me, God. You're going to reward me for this because you have in the past and you will once again. That's what David is saying at that, va- at that last part there. So as we close, I just want to reemphasize the things that God said to David here. Because that's the word for David. And I think that's going to be the word for us this morning. Number one. God is strong. I don't know where you are in this room. Maybe you've, you've come here feeling in a similar place with David. Maybe you come here with a hard heart that you haven't been honest with yourself in quite some time. I don't know where you are, what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you throughout this sermon, but it, these are the two words for David. So I pray that you can have a, a humble and, and a willing heart that's willing to receive this this morning. Because if all of you had that disposition right now, God has something to say to you in these two very basic but profound truths. Number one, he is strong. Now what he desires of us by saying this to David, okay, it's a simple statement, I am strong, David. This is what he's really saying. He desires of us is not to find strength in us, but to be in Christ so deeply that his strength can be said to be our very strength. That's what it means that he is strong. And that's how we respond to that. Exodus 15, 2 says this, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. He says, the Lord is my strength. Are some of you operating out of your own strength this morning? Because you will flail 
and keep flailing because your strength is going to fail you. Let the Lord's strength be your strength. But you have to first empty yourself out to get there. You have to first empty out all that dependency on your own self from yourself and say, Lord, I want to be so dependent on your strength that when I find myself standing upright in a position of strength, it's not my strength, it's your strength that's holding me there. That is what he's calling us to in this passage. Number two, that he loves you. He loves you so much that the Son of God took on flesh and entered into this world, left his heavenly glories, subjected himself to pain, to suffering, to weakness, to our human condition, which involved for him things like, we don't have the story, he lost his father. As he hung on the cross, he watched his mom just weeping at the, observing the, the, the suffering of her own son. He lost friends. And he himself took on the sins of this world on his shoulder. And even his father turned his back on him while he hung on the cross because your sins were on him. That's the love, the committed, hesed love that he has for you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. Psalm 23, 6 says this. Surely goodness and hesed love from God shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His love cannot be separated from you. His love cannot be taken from you. Your sins cannot be so great that his love will then be taken off of you. No, his mercy knows no bounds. His grace can never be exhausted. You can always go back to him and say, Lord, I need you. He says, I know, and I'm here, and I forgive you, and I love you. This is how Paul describes God's covenant, loyal, committed love to us in Romans 8. I'm skipping around a little bit in Romans 8 because I want to read the whole chapter. It says this, so he says, For those he foreknew, meaning before all things he knew you, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he knew you before all things. He knew that he wanted you to look and to be like his son. Why? In order that... His son might be the firstborn among many brothers. And we're going down to verse 30. And those whom he predestined, who he foreknew, he also called. He called you. He said, come to me. And those whom he called, he justified, meaning he made right before him. You didn't make yourself right before God. He made you right before him by the death of his son. So he called you. He made you right before him. And those whom he made right, he also glorified by sending in spirit to become the very temple of the glory of the Lord that you now carry with you day by day if you were a Christian this morning. In verse 38, skipping over, he says this, For I am sure 
that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we close this morning, call the worship team up. How did David receive these truths? Through prayer. Through having open ears, through pouring his heart out, and receiving those basic, simple, yet profound truths from God. I am strong, David. You need my strength, and I love you. So my question for you today is this. Maybe you need, even now, this morning, this afternoon, this week, as we meet Wednesday night, on Friday night, here's my prayer for all of us, that we can actually, in our own unique way, right? I don't know how it's going to look. It may be sloppy and messy, like, like weeping. I don't know, okay? It doesn't matter how it looks. What matters is this. Are you willing this week to just pour yourself out before him? Are you willing this week to just pour your heart out? Are you willing to sit with open ears and say, speak to me, Lord, calm my anxious heart? Can I just hear from you this week, Lord? Are you willing to do that? I want to pray for that for each of you this morning. Jesus, I thank you for everybody in this room, Lord. I don't know where they're at with you, but I know there's stirring in this room this morning. I know that your spirit has stirred people this morning. He's at work now. He's convicting sin in this room. He's, he's, he's beating down walls of pride and trying to humble us that we may see him and may let him in into those parts in our heart that we have not let him in before. Holy Spirit, would you do your work this morning and this week through our prayer, through this, you know, the, the book that we have, it's going to just be a guide, but Lord, beyond all those things, Lord, I pray for a true, meaningful encounter with you, Lord, that we are just not the same afterwards. Jesus, meet us, Lord, but may we be willing to listen. Because, Lord, you're speaking to us now. You're, you're always speaking to us. Lord, I just feel weird. That's not listening, Lord. Give us ears to listen. Thank you, Jesus, for those truths, Lord. That you are strong. And that you love us. Because, Lord, we are not strong. And we need you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of salvation of your Son. And the gift of your Spirit, Lord, who indwells us now. So, Lord, do a mighty work this week in this church, Lord. For those who may be just afraid of what people may think if they just let themselves go before you, Lord, just, just help us get rid of those silly things, Lord. What, what this is about, Lord, is, is, is meeting you, Lord, actually being before you and just letting you do your work onto our own hearts, Lord. For that is where renewal comes from. That is where that true spiritual renewal comes comes, Lord. So for those who are just feel just like they brought just a lackadaisical faith in this room, just kind of a lazy complacency, Lord, I pray that you would just remove that from us, Lord. Holy Spirit, please work mightily in us today and through this week. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.